Father, uh, we just thank you so much for your word and, and how it blesses us and what you teach us. And today, Lord, you're going to teach us about this doctrine of quenching the spirit. We've heard of that before. We're going to learn what it is today, Lord, and, and just how important it is to keep the fire of your spirit burning uh, ever greater in our souls, Lord. We live in very, very dark times, and so the last thing we want to do is to be quenching uh, your very presence in our lives. So, so show us what it means to quench the spirit and grieve the spirit today as we look at this very important text and uh, we study this concept, Lord. So I just ask for your blessings. I ask for the power of your Holy Spirit on our teaching today. And, and uh, Lord, just knowing every year here to hear your word uh, about this very important subject. I just ask that you do that. Uh, by the Spirit of Christ, I ask that in His precious name, Amen. Uh, all of us who have ever gone camping know just how important it is to uh, have a good fire at our campsite because the fire does some very important things. I mean, it, first of all, we use it to cook those wonderful black hot dogs that probably give you cancer, you know, those things. Uh, those s'mores that are, some people say are delicious. I'm not that crazy about them, but, but you need the fire to cook those s'mores. But that's not all the fire does. The fire uh, keeps you warm at night, and so you want to keep that fire burning. The fire gives you light around the campsite, and so it's a good thing if you're going camping to pay close attention to uh, your fire uh, so it isn't quenched. Well, as believers... Uh, it's the fire of the Holy Spirit that you could, really, you could actually say it's what cooks us. You're getting cooked by the Holy Spirit, believe it or not. And when I say that, I say it in the context of our sanctification. Because what is our sanctification? It's the burning fire of the Lord that purifies our soul. So the, so the fire of the Holy Spirit is very important to your sanctification. But that's not all the fire of the Holy Spirit is important for the the fire of the Holy Spirit is light. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And so we want to walk in the light as he is in the light. And so we want to have that fire burning. But that's not all the fire does. It also keeps us warm with the very, that's, that's the fire of God. When we can feel that fire of God deep down in our soul, then we have that comforting presence of God in our lives. And then also fire produces power. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to do the things that God wants us to do. And so a good Christian is going to pay very close attention to the Spirit's fire. And that's why Paul's going to tell us right away, if you go to your Bibles, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, you remember he's been giving us at the end of this book these 20 imperatives at the end of this book that really give us kind of a, uh, a list of things that we're to do if we want to live a powerful Christian life. So they're very important things. And, and maybe the most important thing on this list, I would maybe say verse 17 to pray without season, but right there with it is this imperative in verse number 19, which says, do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the Spirit of God. Now, that metaphor of quenching the Spirit uh, is, is, I think, perfect. I mean, it fits uh, uh, our Christian life perfectly because God is described in the Bible as, one of the things he's described as, is a consuming fire. And his presence is in our souls is like fire to the soul. And so we don't want to quench the spirit. Now, let me say this, and we're going to talk about this a little later on. But when you were born again, when you received Jesus Christ into your heart, then you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, that fact that you were sealed with the Holy Spirit means that the spirit will never totally leave you. You can't totally put out that fire. No matter how hard you try, if you're a born-again believer, you can't totally put out that fire because you're sealed with the Spirit. And Jesus says, I will never, never leave you or forsake you. And so God's not going to leave you at any point. But you certainly can quench 
the Spirit. Just because you're sealed with the Spirit doesn't mean you can't quench the Spirit, that you can't hinder His fire from burning brightly in your soul. Now, I'm going to suggest three ways in which we can quench the Spirit. Somebody asked me earlier if I was going to preach the whole message on verse number 19. Let me tell you what, I could preach about 30 messages on verse number 19. We could, we could be here for a year studying this concept of not quenching the Spirit. And it's that important of a subject. But I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of abbreviate the study. We won't do it for 30 weeks. We're going to do it here in about 30 minutes. But I'm going to suggest, let me suggest to you three ways that you can quench the Spirit's fire. Uh, first of all, let me tell you, the easiest way to quench the Spirit of God is just neglect your relationship with God. Neglect the fire. You neglect the fire and it's going to go out. The second way that you can quench the, spire, quench the Spirit of God is by putting throwing the water of unbelief on the fire. That's the second way. And the third way that we quench the spirit is by throwing dirt on it. The dirt of what? The dirt of our evil ways. So those are three ways that we can quench the spirit. By neglecting the spirit, by throwing the water of unbelief on the spirit, and by throwing the dirt of our evil ways on the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to look at the first one, and that's neglecting the Holy Spirit, and then we'll look at these other two as Paul's addresses them in a, in a couple of verses here ahead of this verse, or after this verse. Now, all of you who have ever built a campfire know that the easiest way to put the fire out is just don't do anything. Just neglect it, and I'll tell you what's going to happen. Eventually, that fire is going to go out. And that's true for the Spirit's fire in our soul, too. The number one way, in my opinion, to quench the Spirit of God is just to neglect your relationship with God. You want the fire of God to go out in your soul? Then neglect your relationship with God. And i got to tell you what, we've got so many idols. We live in a culture that is full of idols. Now, we don't bow down and worship some pagan God, but there are all sorts of things in life that interfere with our relationship with God. And, and, and they become idols, and they, and they quench the Spirit of God. That's why John said, if you remember at the end of 1 John, he kind of summed up the whole thing. He said, you want to live a powerful life? You want to have the fire of God burning in your soul? Remember how he ended 1 John? Do you all remember those words? Little children, what did he say? Keep yourself from idols. Man, if you could do, if that's the only thing you do to nurture your Christian life, that's it. Little children, keep yourself from idols. We're not going to do that. I'm, I'm sorry to say, it's sad. We just don't do that. We allow, you know, I'm a pastor and I spend a lot of time in the Word and I spend a lot of time in prayer, but I have a lot of idols in my life. A lot of things that interfere with my relationship with God. And, 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 and when I have those idols in my life, it quenches the spirit of God. It quenches the spirit's fire. And I don't have the power. I don't have the benefits of having the Holy Spirit burning brightly in my life. That's why Paul says in verse number 17, look back at verse number 17 of chapter number 5. He says, pray without ceasing. Put everything else aside and live in an attitude of prayer. Otherwise, you're going to be quenching the Spirit. Paul puts it like this in Colossians chapter 3. He says, set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. And i got to tell you, if I were to ask you honestly to tell me where's your mindset, is your mind, now maybe right now it's set on things above, but, but praying without ceasing means we're, our mind is always set on things above. How many people honestly say they always have their mind set on things above? Anybody? I didn't think so. Because we don't do that. And that's why we're missing power in our life. That's why we're missing the blessings of God in our life because we've got so many things that interfere with our uh, relationship with God. Let me tell you what. You want to throw gasoline on your fire? You want to see the Holy Spirit burn brightly in your life? You want to have the power of the Holy Spirit, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the light of the Holy Spirit? 
And let me tell you what you do. You set your mind on things above. You live in an attitude of prayer. You live in an attitude where you pray without ceasing. When you hide yourself in the Lord, I mean, that is fuel to the fire of the Spirit, and you're going to have a burning relationship with the Lord. Don't you want that? I mean, I want that. And more and more, I want to let go of some of these idols. I want to get some of these things out of my life, and I want to experience the blessings of God. A lot of times we don't experience the blessings of God because we're quenching the Spirit's fire. Here's another thing. The Holy Spirit is there to help you. The Holy Spirit is our guide. He wants to guide us through life. He wants to give us the power to face the obstacles in life. He wants us to give us the power to defeat the forces of darkness. He wants to give us the power to be great witnesses for him. He wants to give us the power to have peace and joy. And he wants to guide us. But let me tell you what he's not. The Holy Spirit is not a tyrant. He's not going to yell at you. He's not going to scream at you. He's going to softly whisper to you. And you're going, to have to, you're going to have to have an open ear in order to hear him. And, 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 and when you listen to God and when you obey God, then you're putting fuel on the fire and you're going to, you're going to, uh, you're going to, you're going to see uh, great things happen in your life. You're going to have the peace and joy that you're looking for. You're going to be a productive Christian. You're going to be a good witness. You're going to live a righteous life. I mean, if you're struggling with sin, it... It, we're all going to struggle with sin if we don't have the power of God working in our soul. We're going to all have, we're going to all be defeated by the devil if we don't have the power of the Spirit in our souls. And let's look at what he says here in verse number 20. Very interesting uh, passage. And here's another one we could dwell a while on. He says, do not despise prophecies. Do not despise prophecies. You know, Paul could have just as well said right here, he says, he could have said, do not despise miracles. Do not despise the supernatural work of God. Because when you despise the supernatural work of God or you deny the power of God, then you quench the spirit of God because of your unbelief. I mean, it's like throwing a bucket of water on the fire in your soul when you don't believe that God has the power to prophesy, that he or prophesy through someone else. When you don't believe in tongues, when you don't believe in healings, when you don't believe in miracles, then you're quenching the spirit of God. Cessationists are, are, are those people who believe that the miracles ended with the apostles. I'm sure you've heard uh, there's a, there's several denominations where most of the pastors enough within those denominations believe that miracles are a thing of the past. I mean, if you're sick, you better go to the doctor. Uh, you, there's no such thing as speaking in tongues. That was at Pentecost. You're never going to hear about tongues again. There's no such things as words of knowledge. Knowledge. There's no such things as 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 prophecies. Uh, those things just don't exist anymore. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 39. He says, he says, desire earnestly to prophesy. Desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. So Paul, Paul kind of gave the last word about miracles right there. He says, hey, don't, he says here, he says, do not despise the prophecies. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, desire to prophesy. Desire to speak in tongues and, hey, don't forbid to speak in tongues. In other words, just because you don't believe in miracles, don't put that, uh, that monkey on somebody else's back. I mean, I believe in miracles, and I, I'm sure most of you do too. And, and, and the cessationist commentators come to verse number 20, and what they say is that, that Hey, you know, I mean, they can't deny that it says do not despise prophecy. But what a cessationist will tell you is that the word prophecy right there means to, to preach the written word. In other words, what I'm doing here today is prophesying. No, what I'm doing here today is teaching. And what I'm doing here is preaching. This is not prophesying. The word prophesy in the Greek literally means it's pro, which means future, in the future, to, and to tell. 
prophesy means to foretell, to foretell events before they actually happen. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't despise prophecies. I love prophecies. I look for words of knowledge. I look for prophecies. I believe that God wants to speak to us every bit as much today as he did in the days of the apostles. And he speaks through prophets and he speaks through words of knowledge. He will speak to you that way. I have no doubt that he will speak to you that way because on a number of occasions, God has spoken to me that way. He's given me a word of prophecy. You know, one of the people I get prophecies from all the time is a guy who people say is a cessationist. That's what's kind of funny. Charles Stanley. I have gotten more prophecies, words of knowledge or prophecies from Charles Stanley than, than I can count. I mean, all, that's why I listen to him all the time. And a lot of times when something really, I'm not wanting to do something, I don't even want to cut on the radio and listen to him because I'm afraid he's going to tell me I'm going to have to do it. And he does that. Let me give you one example. Years ago, when I was uh, on the staff at a church in New Orleans, the pastor left. And they were looking for a pastor. And I thought, wow, you know, that'd be great. So, and they actually did ask me if the, I would be one of the candidates. And I said, sure. And I thought I was going to be the pastor of that church. And I think I got a word that I was going to be a pa the pastor of that church. But for 11 months, they looked for somebody else. I was on the list, but they kept looking for somebody else. And, and it was a year before they called a pastor. And... And, and at the very end of that process, one of the candidates was preaching on Sunday morning and he got up and preached and his whole sermon was about why they should pick him as the pastor and why they shouldn't, he, he didn't call me by name, but why they shouldn't pick me. He was on, we both were on staff of that church and so he was, he was kind of putting me down and lifting himself up. I was furious. I mean, I'd gone through that process, watched them, you know, look at everybody uh, but me, uh, even though they said I was a candidate. And I said to myself, I drove home that day and I told Brenda, I said, I am done with that church. I am resigning from the staff. I'm telling them to take my name off the list and I will never set foot in that building again. I made the mistake of cutting on the radio as we were going home. And it was Charles Stanley, and I'm not lying to you. The very words, the first words I, that we, we were in the middle of the sermon, we picked it up. He said, what in the world do you think you're doing talking about leaving that church? <laughs> he said, God called you to that church before the foundation of the world to serve him there. And if you leave that church, you're asking for the discipline of God on your life. God has a plan and a future for you in that church, and you better stay. Flipped the radio off, and I looked at Brenda. I said, I guess I'm not leaving after all. And a month or so later, they called me as pastor of that church. And I would have left if I hadn't gotten that word of prophecy. I could sit here and give you one after the other that I've gotten in my life. When I'm looking for a word, I... I the Bible, what does the Bible say in James? If you ask for wisdom, you'll receive wisdom. You, and, and you don't know exactly how that wisdom's going to come. And one of the ways that wisdom comes, or I think more often than not, it comes through prophecies and it comes through words of wisdom. And so you want to look out for those things. And they can come from anybody. I mean, Balaam got them from a donkey. So you might get them from some jack donkey. I almost used a bad word there. So you just listen to, you, you, you listen and you'll get a word of wisdom if you're looking for it. Well, pastor, I don't believe in prophecies. I've never had a prophecy spoken over me. I've never had anything like that happen to me. I don't believe in prophecy. Well, guess what? The reason you've never heard of prophecy is because you don't believe. If you don't believe, what are you doing? You're, 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 you're quenching the spirit power of God. You're quenching the spirit. You're not going to hear a prophecy. But if you really believe that God still speaks today, if you really believe that God still does miracles today, you'll see miracles in your life. You know, I've had God heal me supernaturally on several occasions. I'm talking about without any medicine or anything. 
And I know God still heals. He doesn't always do it that way. Sometimes you got to have a surgery. Sometimes you got to take some medicine. But I'll tell you what, these people that say they believe in, in healings and then run straight to the doctor every time they get a sniffle, I don't think they really believe in the healing of God. They're not really trusting God. Read the story about Asa. How did Asa die? You, did you, you, Asa died because of a disease he had. And you know what the commentary on that disease was? God let him die because he trusted in physicians instead of the Lord. Look, I believe in physicians, but I believe in miracles too. And, I, and, I'm, gonna try, I, and I'm not going to be a cessationist. I understand that miracles, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he's every bit as much in the miracle business today as he was back then. And the reason I don't think we see many miracles in the church and the reason some people don't see any miracles in their life <clears throat> is because they don't believe in miracles. Now, but here's what you got to be careful with. And that's why he gives us verse number 21. Look at what he says. He says, test all things, even miracles. You got to test those things. Because let me tell you what, the devil's in the supernatural miracle business too. And he can perform miracles. He can perform false miracles, false tongues, false healings, a false a lot of things, false prophecies, false words of knowledge. And I'm always weary when somebody comes up and says, God gave me a word to tell you about this about you because I wonder why God didn't tell me. That's what I always say. I wonder why he told me that. You know, usually, I would say always, if you get a word of knowledge, it's verifying something God's already told you. Now, how do I test a word of knowledge? How do I test a prophecy? How do I test really anything? Well, here's how you test it. Is it putting fuel on the fire or is it quenching the fire? Is it something that's good or is it something that's evil? If, is it something that's true or is it something that's, that's a lie? If a prophecy doesn't come true, I'll tell you what, if somebody gives me a prophecy, a word of prophecy, and it doesn't come true, those people, I'll write them off because let me tell you what they did to prophets in those days when the prophecy didn't come true, they stoned them. I don't stone anybody for giving me a false prophecy. So you, I'm not going to kill you if you give me a false prophecy. But I'm not going to listen to you anymore. You start giving me a false In fact, I will tell you, if you give me a false prophecy and then give me, try to give me another one, I'll say, look, the last one you gave me didn't come true. So I don't even want to listen to this one. And that's true for interpretations of tongues. That's true for a, a, a lot of miracles. There's a lot of false miracles out there. You remember at the pool of Bethsaida how, the, how the, all the sick people were jumping into the pool in order to get healed. And, and I believe... One of them was getting healed. The first one in, you know, got healed. And I think that the devil was making a joke out of all of these people and, and getting people to look at the miracle instead of looking at God and looking at the method instead of looking at God. And Jesus came along and he, and he, healed, he healed the lame man. And, and, and I believe that there's a lot of false miracles out there too. There's a lot of false healings. There's a lot of false prophecies. There's a lot of false words of knowledge. And so we need to test those things. That's not the only thing we need to test. We need to test everything in our life to make sure it's good. We don't want anything evil in our life. We need to test our relationships. Before we jump into a relationship, we need to make sure that relationship, we need to give it time. We need to make sure that relationship's going to last. We need to make sure that it's good. And let me tell you what, if you get a good relationship, you cling to it with everything you've got. With everything you've got. Hold fast to what is good, he says right here. We need to test the ministries that we give to. You know, I know a lot of people who give to these sheriff and police organizations, and, and if you get their financial statements, 90% of what they take in, they keep. They give 10% to the sheriff and 10% to the police. There's some of these veteran, or, veteran organizations for paralyzed veterans and wounded veterans, you better be careful about that. You better look at their financial statements because they make a lot of money off of wounded veterans, and there's something wrong with that. You look at, you, you look at a lot of Christian ministries, and 90% of what they take in goes into their pockets. So you want to test all things. You want to make sure that it's good, and when it's good, you want to hold fast to what is good. Now, he gives us the next reason how we can quench the Spirit, and look, look at verse number 22. He says, abstain 
from every e evil, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, from every form of evil. Look, you want to quench the fire of God, then you throw dirt into your life. You throw evil in, into your life. You're going to quench the spirit of God. Any kind of evil. Gossip. Gossip. Man, I can't tell you how many times I felt the fire of God in my soul. And I was, I'm feeling like I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm feeling like I could do anything. And then I go talking bad about somebody. I won't name any names. But I just go talking bad about somebody. And as soon as I do that, you know what? I, I have a physical sense of the departure of the presence of God. He will not stand for that. You want, if you want to talk bad about others, especially the preacher, <laughs> you're going to quench the Spirit of God. I'm telling you that right now. Maybe accept the preacher. But don't gossip. Don't slander people. Don't lie about people. Don't lie at all. You're quenching the Spirit of God. A bad temperament. A bad temperament. I don't know anything about that, but a bad temperament will quench the Spirit of God. It'd take a lot more than my fingers to count the times when I've been on the way to church and just been on fire and ready to preach. And some guy does pulls out in front of me and does pulls out, jumps out in front of me, and then starts going ten miles an hour, ten below, miles below the speed limit, and I get mad and I, I don't. He doesn't hear me, but I say something to him I shouldn't say. And by the time I get to church, I'm like, man, how am I going to preach? God has departed from me. The, the Ichabod, the God has departed. I mean, the, the head is gone. I mean, we, we, our bad temperaments, when we, the, you know, let me tell you what the devil's going to do. If you're a born-again believer and you're on fire for God, he's going to throw people into your life that are going to make you mad. And he's going to try to get you to blow off on them a lot of heat. And then by doing that, you're going to quench the spirit of God and you're going to lose the power. And you're going to lose the blessing. You're going to lose the light that you have. And you're going to find yourself walking in darkness. And that's a, you, you're still saved. But you're ineffective for the kingdom of God. And so a bad temperament quenches the spirit. Overindulging our flesh quenches the spirit. I mean, any kind of immorality, I can tell you right now, is going to quench the spirit of God. You're not going to have any power of God when you're engaged in immorality. You're not going to experience the presence of God when you're engaged in immorality. You, 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 you just, you're quenching the spirit of God. But, that, but, but you know, you can, you, there's a lot of things that, that when we overindulge the flesh, we quench the spirit of God. You drink too much. You, you, you entertain yourself too much. You're going to quench the spirit of God. There's a lot of ways to, to I mean, this, we live in an evil world. And that's why you have to separate yourself from the world. Because if you don't separate yourself from the world, then you're, you're living in evil. And if you're living in evil, then you're quenching the spirit of God. And there goes your joy. There goes your peace. There goes your power. There goes your light. And so we're to abstain from... From how much evil? Every form of evil. Every form of evil. You know, let me give you just a rule of thumb. The Bible gives you the rule of thumb. The Lord says, be holy as I am holy. Good luck. But that's what you're supposed to be. We're supposed to be making an effort. You know, God sees our efforts. We're going to fall into sin on occasion. And God is merciful. But we're to be attempting to be holy as he, he is holy. How do you be holy? What's holy mean? holiness means? It means to be separate from the world. And so that's a choice we have to make. There's a, there's, there's, a, there's a spiritual sanctification where we're given the holiness of God. We're given the righteousness of Christ. But a pra the practical sanctification requires our choice. We have to say to ourselves, we're going to be holy as he is holy. That's a choice we make in every circumstance we face. If we want to keep that fire burning in our lives. 
Now, here's a question I raised earlier, and I want to ask at this point. If I can quench the Spirit of God, does that mean that I can totally put out the fire of God in my life? If I do so much evil, if I neglect the Spirit so much, I mean, if I do all of these things to a point, is there a point where I can reach where I can actually put out totally the fire of God? Now, a lot of people who believe you can lose your salvation, they, one of the verses that they, they love to use is verse number 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Quench almost implies that you can put out, totally put out the Spirit of God in your life. But you got to take everything in context, right? You got to look at it in context. And I, and, I, and I can tell you right now, you can't put out the Spirit of God. You can't do that. I'll say that emphatically. If you've ever been camping, let me tell you what, it's a lot harder to put a fire out than it is to start a fire. I've, tried, I've had started these big campfires, and then I go to try to put them out and throw all sorts of dirt on them, and then you still see those embers burning. And what did Jesus say, have to say about an ember? Or what did the Bible have to say about Jesus related to embers? Remember what was said about Jesus in Matthew 12? And you can go to Isaiah 42 because that's who Matthew was quoting. Listen to what he says about Jesus. A bruised reed he will not break, nor a smoking ember, nor or a smoking ember he will not quench. A smoking ember he will not quench. You know, there are a lot of us who are nothing more than smoking embers. We don't have much fire going on in us. But the good news here today is that even a smoking ember he will not quench. That means that once the fire is started, once you're born again and you are sealed with the Spirit of God, that fire will never totally be put out. That's good news for all of us. Real good news. How do I know that? Because who starts the fire? The Lord starts the fire. Who fuels the fire? The Lord fuels the fire. Who controls the fire? The Lord controls the fire. Who puts out the fire if it can be put out? He puts it out. And it says here, a smoking ember he will not quench. And now look at verse number 23. Listen to what it says. Now may the God of peace himself, Jesus Christ, sanctify you completely by the fire of his Holy Spirit. That's how you're sanctified. And may your whole spirit, soul and body, you, you see how the Lord sees us? He sees us as one. Body, soul, and spirit. May your whole body, soul, and spirit be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. How much of sanctification is the work of God? How much of it? Look at this verse. All of it. That burning fire, look, look at that verse. That burning fire that sanctifies me is his fire. And he tends the fire. And as a believer, no matter what I do to quench it, he will never let it burn out because the God of peace himself will sanctify me completely. It is his job to sanctify me completely. It's not my job. And he sanctifies us when he's done with us. When we see him, we will be like him spirit, soul, and body, and we will be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. And you better be preserved because if you're not preserved, when you face God, you're facing a consuming fire and those who don't know the Lord are going to be consumed by that fire for eternity in hell. But not us. We're going to be presented holy, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he reiterates that point in verse 24. Look at what it says. He who calls you, who calls you to salvation, 
and elects you. Many are called, few are chosen. But if you're called and chosen, he who calls you is faithful and he's going to help you do it. Is that what it says? Who also will do it. You understand the implications of that statement right there? You understand what he's saying right there? Let me tell you what he's telling us. You're not faithful. George, you're not faithful. I could name every name in this room. There are none of you who are faithful to the core. There are times when you are unfaithful. But when we're unfaithful, he is faithful. If it was left up to me to keep that fire of the Holy Spirit going in my soul until the Lord comes to get me or until I die, let me tell you what, at some point it would go out. Because I neglect my relationship with the Lord. I'm not always doing what I ought to do. I'm not always praying without ceasing. I'm not always focused on the Lord. I always don't have my mind set on things above. There are a lot of times when my mind is set on the things of this earth. And sometimes the earth can drag me in so much. and, And if God wasn't there to pull me out, I would just be drawn into the point the fire would go out. And without the fire, where would we be? We would be right back to our evil ways. Without the Holy Spirit, let me tell you what, we are evil people. Without the sanctification of God, we are evil people. I'll tell you what, I've had several fits of unbelief. Several times when I was like, Lord, why did you let this happen to me? I don't even believe in you anymore. I've I've even talked about walking away from the Lord. And then I'll listen to Charles Stanley and he'll tell me, you better not walk away from the Lord. Who are you to walk away from the Lord? You want to go to hell? No, I'm going to walk away from the Lord. Actually, it's more like, who are you to walk away from the Lord who died for you? Who gave you his spirit? Who loves you? But I have fits of unbelief. And, And my unbelief at times would cause the fire to go out if God wasn't tending the fire. And I got to tell you, I don't know about you, but I've thrown a lot of dirt on my soul even since 1989 when I got saved. And I've probably thrown enough dirt to put the fire out, at least to bring it down to an ember, but an ember he won't quench. And so he who calls you is faithful and will also do it. That is some grand news right there, people. I can tell you right now, how will he do it? By our efforts? No, by his grace. He's going to keep the fire burning. And he's going to sanctify us completely, as Paul says in Colossians 1.22, to present us to the Father holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Let me tell you what, right now, that's not you. That's not me. You are not holy and blameless and irreproachable in his sight. But he's going to present you that way. And the only way he's going to be able to do that is to give you a total New nature. We have the seed of that new nature now, but one day we're going to be glorified. And we're going to be presented without any fault. We're going to be absolutely perfect. Anybody here perfect right now? My wife thinks I am, but no. She actually doesn't think that at all. Nobody's perfect right now. Nobody's blameless right now. We're all failing. We all have unbelief. We all have dirt in our lives. We still have dirt in our lives. We all neglect the Spirit of God. But one day, let me tell you what, you're not going to be neglecting the Spirit of God. I've read ahead to prepare for Wednesday night. Go read Micah chapter 4, the first part of that that chapter. You you, You guys ought to be here Wednesday night to hear the good news in that chapter. What God's got planned for you is unbelievable. What he's got planned for us is unbelievable. Just think of it. Not an evil thought. Not an evil action. Everything you think will be good and holy. You will not have any pain. You will not feel uh, any remorse. You will feel nothing but bliss, eternal joy, and peace forever. That's what's in store for the believer. We're not there yet. We're not wholly blameless and irreproachable, but we will be because it's his work and he is faithful when we are unfaithful. But you know what? We don't have to wait. 
to experience the burning fire of God in our souls. That's been, I tell you what, you're going to have so much fire in your soul when, when you're in heaven, you're going to glow like a light bulb. You're going to be like Adam and Eve. You're not going to need any clothes. The only way you could need clothes is if you lost that fire and you saw that you were naked. That's why they saw that they were naked. They didn't even know they, there was such a thing as clothes before that point. But that's the way you're going to be. But, but even now, even now we can begin to experience the power of God in our life if we would quit quenching the spirit. We, we, we do so much harm to ourselves and so much harm to God's plans for our life when we quench the spirit. We do so much harm to others. You know, if you're a parent here and you have children, when you're quenching the spirit, you're harming your children because they need to see the spirit of God in you. They need to see that God's real in you. If they don't see that, if the spirit's quenched, you're not going to impact anybody in this world. There's consequences for quenching the fire of God. First of all, I just mentioned it, it's the loss of power. You might want to write these down. If you got a pencil, you, you, let, me, let me tell you the consequences of, of quenching the spirit. You lose power. You lose power. You leak power. You put out the fire. And you become an ineffective Christian. You're good for nothing. I mean, you're ineffective. When you're letting the fire of God go out, you're an ineffective witness. We're ineffective in our service. We don't want to quench the spirit. We want to have power in our lives, power to win others to Jesus Christ. And I've got to tell you, if you, if you never sense that power when you're around your lost relative, you never sense that power when you're at work. I'll tell you why, because you, you don't have the fire burning brightly in you. You got the fire, but you've quenched it. Man, how, what a, what a, bad thing it is when we put out the love of God in our souls, the fire of God in our souls. The second thing is we walk in darkness. We begin to walk in darkness. God is light. The fire gives us light. The fire of the Spirit of God is light to our soul. And you're not going to ever end up in the total darkness of hell. But let me tell you what. We live in a very, very, very dark time. And it's getting darker by the moment. And the only way you're going to have joy and peace and light in this very evil, evil time is to have the power of the Spirit burning brightly in your soul. If, you get a, if, if you're here today, and I experience this at times myself. But if you're here today and things seem really, really, really dark in your life, you can be born again, but you could very well be quenching the Spirit of God. Because, man, when you're flowing with the Spirit of God and you've got the light of God in your soul, there's nothing that you can't get through. The darkness gives you direction. It gives you light. It gives you hope. It gives you joy. It gives you peace. We don't want to quench the spirit of God. In Micah chapter 5, uh, I'm sorry, Micah chapter 3, verse 7, he's speaking to the Israelites and listen to what he says. And they had totally quenched the spirit at this point in their nation. The light had gone out. They, they weren't believers. So the light for them went totally out. Listen to what God said about that. God said about that, you will have night without vision and darkness without the power to escape the darkness. Things will get so dark that you can't see your way out and so dark that you have no hope and so dark that you can't escape the darkness. And I see believers who are living in deep black darkness because they've just about quenched totally the Spirit of God. And things are dark, dark, dark in their life. And the world is dark, dark, dark. And they can't see their way out. Because they, they're in the night without any vision. 
And God's going to eventually get them through. But in order for you to get through, you've got to quit quenching the Spirit of God. You've got to nurture your relationship with God. You've got to believe God. You've got to quit throwing dirt on the fire. You've got to live righteously for God. You've got to be holy as He is holy. And then the third consequence of quenching the Spirit of God. We grieve the Spirit. We grieve the Spirit. I've been asked on several occasions, what's the difference between grieving and quenching the Spirit? Are they the same thing? Let me tell you what, the causes of grieving the Spirit and quenching the Spirit are exactly the same thing. You neglect your relationship with the Lord, you quench the Spirit, you grieve the Spirit. You engage in unbelief, you don't believe the Lord, you don't believe in His power, you quench the Spirit and you grieve the Spirit. You allow evil into your lives and you quench the Spirit and you grieve the Spirit. Well, is there a difference? Yes, there's a difference. Quenching the Spirit is what happens to you. Grieving the Spirit is what happens to God. When I neglect my relationship with God, it grieves God. When I don't believe God, when God places me somewhere and asks me to do something and shows me direction, and then I quit believing God, that grieves God. When I allow sin in my life, when I gossip about people, when I overindulge my flesh, when I commit immorality, I grieve God. Who is the Spirit? The Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. Christ who died for us on a cross. What shame it is on us when we grieve the one who died for us, when we don't really care about him, when we neglect him, when we don't believe him, when we don't live as he wants us to live, it grieves God. You know, to me, that's the greatest consequence of all. The greatest consequence that I could grieve my Savior. You can grieve your Savior. We can grieve the Lord. We want those fires burning. We don't want to neglect the Lord. We want to be praising the Lord in everything, verse number 18, giving thanks. Giving thanks by the way we live our lives. By taking time out to Spend with the Lord. By staying away from evil, we want to give thanks in everything to the Lord. We want to make the Lord happy. It makes him happy. Happy. When we do what he desires for us to do. Now, Paul finishes the letter. He says, brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. I mean, I don't believe there's a guy in the world who's ever been closer to Jesus Christ than Paul. But he was in a tough situation. He says, brethren, pray for us. You think maybe if he needed intercessory prayer, you and I don't need intercessory prayer? Especially those people who are on the front lines and, and, and the devil's doing everything he can to put out their fire. Then pray for those people. Pray for each other. That's the will of God for us, to pray for each other. And he says in verse number 26, greet all the brethren and sisters with a holy kiss. Now you got to watch what kind of kiss you give or you'll start another fire, not the kind of fire you're supposed to be starting. Here at Calvary, we do holy hugs, but those shouldn't be sexual hugs. They should be holy hugs. 
Hugs where we hug people because we love them. We shake hands with them because we love them. Not sexually. Verse 27, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to the holy brethren. I wonder if Paul realized back when he wrote this that one day in Lafayette, Louisiana, some 2,000 years later, they'd be reading his words, his letter. He didn't know it, but you know what? God knew it. Because God put those words in his heart. And finally, Paul blesses the Thessalonians. He gives them a great blessing. He gives them what they need the most. What do they need the most? Listen to what he says. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. I hear people tell me at times, I want what I deserve. You don't want what you deserve. None of us want what we deserve. I want grace. The greatest fuel for the Holy Spirit's fire is grace. Grace and mercy from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the great things that you've taught us today in your word. And Lord, I, I can't speak for everyone here, but Lord, the last thing that I want to do is grieve you. The one who died for me and saved me and shed his blood for me, Lord. But I need grace. I need lots of grace, Lord. Lots of grace to fuel this fire you put in my soul. I don't want to be a burning ember. It walks in darkness and, and has no power to witness and, and, Lord, doesn't experience your presence. I want, to be a, I want my soul to be set afire with the flames of your Holy Spirit. Lord, so I beg you today to give me that grace. Give me that grace to be the person you want me to be. And I ask that for every person in this room. And if there's anyone that doesn't know you, Lord, and they're here today and they've heard these words and Lord, I just ask that you touch their souls so that they just get a taste of how wonderful you are and what a wonderful thing it is to know you, to come out of darkness and come into your light. Lord, to experience your fire, experience your power, experience your miracles, experience your grace, experience your peace and experience your joy. Lord, let not another day go on in their life before they receive Christ into their heart. Lord, I just thank you for your grace. I thank you for your salvation. I thank you for all you're doing in our lives. I thank you in Christ's name. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.